this is Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. I took a couple of weeks off, so here I am uh, back uh, for a March 20th podcast. And this was going to be a different podcast this week, but then the news about Donald Trump hit, that the fact that he's going to be charged, it looks like criminally this week in Manhattan State Court. So we're going to talk about that, obviously, at the top. And the criminal charges brought against him will be for disguising the hush money payments to porn star Stormy McDaniels and model, whatever she is, Karen McDougal, paid by his former lawyer, Michael Cohn, to Daniels and McDougal prior to the 2016 election, basically to shut them up. And the payments were designed to look like a payment of legal fees to Cohn, who then used the money to pay the two bimbos. And the charge is falsifying business records. And this is such a stupid case that it's almost beyond belief that it's being brought. And I can't stand Donald Trump, but this is just, this is madness. It's a misdemeanor charge in New York, but I believe the time has run out, not only for a misdemeanor, but also for a felony case because this occurred so many years ago. So the statute of limitations may have run out on on this case, whether it's a felony or a misdemeanor. The only way that the falsification of business records becomes a felony in New York is if the falsifying of the records was done to conceal another crime. But the only crime that the fabrication of the business records was done for was federal campaign finance violations, not a New York charge a federal charge. And there was a reason that the feds investigated this charge against Trump and passed on it years ago, because it's it's just dumb and weak. It's not a strong case because it depends really solely on Michael Cohn, Trump's former lawyer fixer, and perhaps the only guy on the planet that's dumber and more dishonest than Trump. Now, naturally, Trump being Trump, he can't help but make things worse. Now, this is a case, as I said, the to make it a felony, they have to claim that the fabrication of the records was to cover up another crime, but it's a federal crime. I don't even know if that's allowed in a New York state case. Normally, I would have thought that it would have had to be to cover up a New York state crime, but there is no uh, New York state analog for the federal campaign finance violations, honestly. So as I said, uh, Trump, you know, being Trump can't help but make things worse. He's got his lawyers on TV making an ass out of themselves, claiming that Cohn did this all on his own. And now that he's blaming Trump, which is kind of a dumb defense, because Cohn pled guilty and went to prison for this federal prison for a federal campaign finance charge for arranging these hush payments. Why would Cohn do all of this on his own without Trump knowing? It just doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous. The defense instead should be that Trump had no intent to violate the federal campaign finance laws, that he hid the the hush payments because he didn't want his wife finding out that he was banging all these bimbos. After all, who who is going to testify that violating the federal campaign finance rules was the reason for the payoff and that it was designed as a legal fee for that reason? Trump is an ignorant guy. The, the defense of lack of intent actually works here. So go with that. Regardless, instead of trying to blame it on Cohn on TV, the only thing Trump and his uh, lawyer should be uh, uh, doing on TV is uh, suggesting that the Democrats have turned this country into a banana republic, which they have. 
Alvin Bragg, the woke Manhattan DA who's bringing these charges, is frankly a clown. I mean, he's a clown. And this case, as I said, may never even see a trial because of the problems I outlined above. Clearly, Bragg is either too dumb to realize this, which is certainly possible, or he doesn't care because he thinks he'll become a hero to the left just for charging Trump. But is this the kind of America we want, you know, where the party in charge knocks out the opposition with some bogus criminal case? And I litigate cases against Bragg's office, and the morale there is so low. In my 32 years of cases with that office, morale has never been even remotely as low as it is now. Every prosecutor I'm dealing with now, they hate their job under Bragg. They all recognize him as a political hack. They all want to leave the office, every one of them. I've heard from many of them trying to get out. The far left has taken over New York completely in the form of the Attorney General, Tish James. She only cares about suing Trump and Alvin Bragg, who has no problem letting violent criminals off, no problem giving breaks to violent anti-Semites, Antifa killers. He refuses to even charge many criminals. You push him on a case of violence, and nine out of ten times his office folds. I mean, I'll go over that. I'm taking a plea on Tuesday. I'm gonna, I'll talk about it next weekend. Their office just folds. But for Trump, he'll use the entire office's resources for an indictment, however small it is. And this one couldn't be a dumber case. The Democrats, of course, also had no problem when Hillary Clinton used campaign money to pay for the Steele dossier and disguise the payments for that as a legal expense. Same thing. The Steele dossier, as you know, was the political opposition research report written in 2016, which contained false allegations of misconduct, conspiracy, and cooperation between Trump's presidential campaign in Russia prior to the 2016 election. It's been largely discredited, and Hillary ended up getting fined by the Federal Election Commission, not indicted for doing the same thing that Trump did with these two uh, hookers, whatever they are. And the Clinton campaign initially denied funding the report, which was used to push fake Russia collusion claims against Trump in 2016. But of course, Trump, when he got elected, did all that he could to downplay any possibility of criminal charges against Hillary. You know, meanwhile, they're doing that exact thing to him now. And it's typical of Trump. And as I've said here, the reason Trump never wanted to see Hillary indicted, the reason he didn't touch Hunter Biden, even as he had the laptop in the months leading up to the 2020 election, was that he was afraid if he went after Democrats, they'd come after him because he's so dirty. Again, not surprisingly, he's wrong about everything. Trump misread the situation and he's about to be indicted. And his tweet or, or whatever you can call it on, on his truth social platform it frankly was hilarious. I mean, really, let's let's be honest. Uh, he called for protests. Suddenly, Donald Trump, he's all about protests and social justice. This is what he said. Protest. Take our nation back. And that worked out so well last time at the Capitol on, on January 6th when he called for protests. The only time Trump has ever become a protest warrior is when it's to help him. He becomes Martin Luther King in the March on Washington when he lost an election. And now that he's about to be criminally charged, all of a sudden he wants uh, more protests. Joe Biden has destroyed this country in three years. We've got the highest crime rates ever. We have illegal streaming over every border. 16 people on the FBI's terror list were arrested last month at the southern border. 
after only eight total between the years Trump was in office from 2017 through 2020. Think about that. Fentanyl is is flooding the country. China is threatening us with war, physically threatening us. They're humiliating us. We've given $100 billion to the Ukraine in a never-ending war. Inflation is through the roof. But the only time Trump says there should be any protests against the government is when the protests he thinks can help him personally. Naturally, of course, if you get arrested following uh, his call to protests, he won't do a thing for you. Much the way he didn't do a single thing for the people that were arrested after January 6th. And he had a couple of weeks to do something for the initial arrests. He could have. He was too busy granting pardons or, or clemency to his friends or some rappers. But if you give Trump some money as a campaign contribution, he might use a few bucks of your money to fund some legal defenses if you're arrested. Otherwise, you got to remember, he's a businessman. He's not taking money out of his own pocket. You're paying for your own legal defense. You're just going to give it to Trump first, and he's going to give it to your lawyers, a few of you, lucky ones. And then, of course, he'll tell you how generous he is. I tried to actually imagine a reason as to why Alvin Bragg, this George Soros-funded affirmative action disaster of a Manhattan DA, why would he be charging Trump in such an idiotic case? Surely it's going to make Trump into an even bigger martyr with his brain-dead MAGA base, you know, more than he even is already to them. Yes, it will ensure that he wins the Republican primary, which he was going to win anyway, but there's no chance despite what his lawyer said on TV, that this will get Trump a victory in the general election in 24. There's just no chance. He's an utter moron. He lost the 2018 midterms. He lost the 2020 re-election against Biden. He lost the 2022 midterms. Every one of his candidates just about lost last November. He couldn't even pick a candidate to beat that vegetable John Fetterman for the Pennsylvania Senate seat. Instead, he backed Dr. Oz, a Turkish citizen from New Jersey who favors sex change operations for children. That sounds pretty conservative, doesn't it? Why did he back Oz? Well, because Trump's equally idiotic wife watches Oz on TV. So Trump is losing to whoever the Democratic candidate is, regardless of these criminal charges. He's just too toxic. Independents hate his guts. Many Republicans like me hate him as well, although I'd never vote for a Democrat again because they're actually worse than Trump. At least Trump did some good things in office. He had some good people around him, some good people. Trump's lawyers, by the way, and this is the funniest thing and so typical of Trump, they're either very far left liberals, which has come out publicly. I'm not making this up. He actually has hired far left liberal lawyers for his family and and for the Trump organization. And I know some of them. They're as far left as they come. Trump somehow doesn't seem to care about that. Or they're just desperate for publicity, his lawyers. I mean, you've seen about uh, that Kraken lawyer, that mental patient, and that Jenna Elfman uh, lawyer who's you know got fired from her first job as a, a prosecutor in Podunk, America. It's not like he pays well. He doesn't. And again, he's not paying anyway. You're paying the people that give him money for his campaign. He uses that money for his legal fees. You're dumb enough to give him money. He's just paying legal fees for things that he caused himself. He's not paying out of his pocket. 
He's an impossible client. He doesn't take advice from his lawyers. Every lawyer who's represented him has seen their careers, for the most part, go to shit. Like I said, that Kraken lawyer, Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, I think he's been disbarred. This is why in New York, he gets lawyers to represent him and his family that are, are frankly surprising to me. One guy that he has representing him, I thought, had left the legal profession for years. He just suddenly reappeared. I hadn't seen him on a case in decades. The next thing I know, he's on TV representing Trump. Another represented the Trump organization in a criminal trial last year, a few months ago, and lost. You know, now she's back representing him on the criminal case in the same building this week. I thought that Trump hated losers. Remember, he hates losers. Remember he said that about John McCain? This lawyer is actually intelligent, though, this woman. So not that it makes a difference uh, in this case. If Trump had done something really bad, like a Watergate situation or like a very bad crime that cries out for prosecution, like selling classified documents to Russia, then yeah, he needs to be prosecuted. I agree. I agree. But paying off two women he slept with to keep their mouth shut? Seriously? I mean, this is... This is what we're doing to take out the presumed nominee for the presidential race in a year? Somehow I think that Hunter and Joe Biden have done much worse. And finally, Republicans are actually doing an investigation of the Bidens. Of course, they didn't do shit when Trump was in office and they had the opportunity at the beginning. They didn't do anything. But they're now investigating the financial connection of the Bidens to the Chinese government. And millions have been paid out to Hunter and, and Hunter's girlfriend, who also happens to be his dead brother's widow. You know, she got money. I don't know why. It makes no sense. But Joe Biden surely got some of that Chinese money as well, that China money. Regardless, as I said, the feds passed on this Trump case when Michael Cohn was indicted the case against Trump, everyone passed on it, including the Manhattan DA's office when it was under a different district attorney. But Alvin Bragg has his sights set on being the king of the leftist scumbags, so he needs to do what no other prosecutor felt was worth doing, including liberal prosecutors. Now, naturally, Trump is whining, but as I said, he had four years to push for a Hunter Biden indictment or an investigation of the Bidens. Even charges against Hillary Clinton he could have done. But like everything else Trump does, it's half-assed and he accomplishes very little. So now instead of campaigning for the 2024 presidency, uh, we're going to see Trump whining about his criminal charges again. The country is exhausted by him completely exhausted by him and will be stuck with Joe Biden or that Kamala Harris or some reasonable facsimile of both of these disasters. Because it's not like Trump has any fight in him to go against Biden or even Hillary. He saves all of his fight for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, his presumed opponent in the Republican primary. He didn't go after Hunter Biden, as I said, during his four years in the White House. But every day Trump blasts DeSantis for being a horrible governor in Florida, even though he's probably the best governor in the country right now. Trump gave us Dr. Fauci. Trump let Fauci shut the country down. Trump gave us the vaccine, vaccine which was a total lie. We were promised that it would end COVID. It didn't stop COVID. And now it's killing young Americans with heart attacks. 
Trump gave us those PPP payments, which resulted in the biggest American fraud in a generation, about $100 billion of the $800 billion that was paid out for PPP. Well, guess what? It was fraud. It was stolen. That's all on Trump. Yet DeSantis is the bad guy, according to Trump, from the COVID shutdown. I mean, it's just, just utter madness. Last week, a pro-Trump, imbecilic MAGA-type pack called MAGA Incorporated filed a complaint with Florida officials alleging that DeSantis is operating a shadow presidential campaign. The super PAC said that DeSantis should be considered a presidential candidate because he's taken meetings with donors, he's raised money, and he's toured the country to sell books. <laughs> Meanwhile, I mean, it's just, it's just utter madness. This is what he's suing DeSantis for. It's what every candidate does. MAGA Inc. is asking the state commission to impose, impose, quote, the most severe penalties under federal, excuse me, under Florida ethics laws, which include, among other things, impeachment, removal from office, public censure, and ballot disqualification. This is the idiocy of Trump going after DeSantis instead of going after Joe Biden. Joe Biden is the one that got you indicted, pal, not Ron DeSantis. Again, I assure you that if DeSantis somehow wins the primary against Trump, which he won't, Trump will endorse Biden or tell his ignoramus MAGA supporters to stay home, much the way he ensured that two Georgia Democrats would win two Senate seats in December of 20, right after he lost the general election, because he was mad that Georgia's governor allowed the Georgia vote to go against Trump and didn't stop it. Of course, none of that was Trump's fault for being an idiot. Now, let me just tell you, I really hate both political parties. But while I hate all Democrats, all Democrats, I only hate the extreme part of the Republican Party because they're idiots as well. Mainly because all Democrats seem like utter lunatics right now. Any issue you look at, they're wrong on. It's impossible to be a Democrat and be sane today. And I was one for decades, but I didn't change. They changed. I'm really the same. With all my political positions, I don't think anything's changed since I'm a kid. This is what a Democrat used to look like. The nations, and I'll give you some of the examples, how crazy they are. And tell me that it's me, that it's not them. The nation's 16th largest bank, Silicon Valley Bank, collapsed last week. Second biggest bank failure ever. It was revealed afterward that the board of directors of the bank were, were just a bunch of woke freaks. Obama and Clinton supporters, a head of risk management at the bank, seemed only concerned about launching this month-long pride campaign and a blog emphasizing mental health awareness for LGBTQIA plus youths. She spearheaded numerous LGBTQ plus programs, including a safe space for coming out stories as the bank collapsed. <laughs> it was a total freak show over there. And I'm not suggesting that these idiotic wokesters and their idiotic agendas played a role in the bank's collapse. It seemed like it was just a classic run on the bank where depositors are pulling out their money all at the same time. But the wokeness didn't help. They were obviously, they missed red flags, the board of directors. And of course, first the Biden administration said, we're not going to bail this bank out because of their own stupidity. But then when we learned that 96% of the bank's political contributions went to Democrats, 
So naturally, they bailed out every depositor beyond the 250000 FDIC insurance limit. You know, when you deposit money in a bank, there's that little sign, FDIC. It means that the first $250,000 of your deposit is insured. Anything after, and you're fucked if the bank goes under. But naturally, the, the Biden administration, once it came out that this was a, a leftist bank, now all of a sudden, Every depositor, every dollar of theirs is going to be covered. He said no bailouts, but then they bailed the bank out. Not, But now he's saying not the company itself, not the bank, just the depositors, as if that's not a bailout. Spoiler alert, it's a bailout, and only because it's a leftist bank. It's just disgraceful and disgusting. This is America. It's a capitalist country. You screw something up, you have to pay for it. Just another liberal disaster printing money to help other liberals out. But there's so much worse leftist garbage going on right now. This transgender assistant secretary of health, Rachel Levine. I mean, I, 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 I don't even, Rachel, I Take a look at this thing. She, is that her pronoun? I, I, I need to check. Mr. Producer, is, is Rachel Levine? I just took a look at her. Is that a she? Uh, whatever, I'm going to say she because her name is his name, her, whatever. Says that changing kids' genders has the highest support of the Biden administration and is key to the mental health of minors. Key. It's key. It's key changing their genders. It's key to their mental health. Levine has promised that medically changing, changing kids' genders will soon be normalized. Yes, even as it's banned in several states. And she's not talking about giving kids hormones or puberty blockers. She's talking about surgery. She's talking about lopping, snipping it off. This is some seriously insane, sick shit. And this is why I'll never vote Democrat for the rest of my life. This is just one of the insane positions Democrats have. Imagine saying this publicly. Kids are confused. That's what it is about being a kid. You're confused until you're you know, older. And so we're going to let them cut off their Johnsons? Really? We're going to let them cause permanent damage to themselves that will affect them forever because they're confused at age 12? And knowing there are so many woke teachers trying to brainwash kids into thinking this is cool, look, there's no question kids will be making decisions they'll later regret because they respect their teachers when they're young. They don't realize that these woke teachers are complete idiotic pieces of shit. So they'll say, well, you know, mom, I, I want to be a, a girl. Cut this, this thing off. Cut it off. It's bad. It's bad. My teacher said it's bad. Look. This is so insane, I shouldn't even have to argue this position. Democrats won't let kids drink until they're 21, but they can cut their dicks off at age 14? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Listen, I'm for gay marriage, for every kind of gay right. This is beyond the pale. This is mental illness, okay? It's mental illness. These are kids. They're not adults. You want to do when you're an adult... God bless you, man. I'm okay with it. I don't care. I don't care. Other crazy leftist shit in the news beyond the Trump indictment. We saw some real craziness at Stanford Law School. 
A federal judge appointed by Trump was invited to speak at the school. He was invited by the Associate Dean for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, DEI. The woke dean invited the judge, and then when introducing him, she scolded him for six minutes, talking about all the pain that he caused. Then the crowd of hundreds of students yelled at him and wouldn't let him speak. He was invited by the dean, by the DEI dean, who was also yelling at the judge. This woke dean who invited him there was one of the ones screaming at him. Naturally, Stanford didn't fire this wild animal associate dean as they should have. The students were particularly angry. This is what they were angry about at the judge for a 2020 opinion in which he refused to use a transgender sex offender's preferred pronouns. Fuck. Gotta be fucking kidding me. But this is what liberals are. Free speech is only for them. Only if you agree with them. What kind of lawyers are these thin-skinned cowards that they can't even bear to hear a different position than theirs? Isn't law about reasoning, advocacy? Imagine training to be a lawyer, but you're either too dumb intellectually or too cowardly to actually advocate for your position to this judge. Instead, you got to shout them down. I mean, when I was in law school, we had to argue both sides of a position sometimes. You might have believed strongly in one, but you had to argue the other side too, because that's what advocacy is. I'm a criminal lawyer. I don't think that my clients are all innocent, but I have to argue for them regardless. That's what being a lawyer is. That's not what woke law school is nowadays anymore. The liberals have fucked it. They've made it where it's just all about social justice. It's not about advocacy. It's not about the law. They refused to even engage. They invited this federal judge solely to abuse him, a federal judge. And this is what we've done to our schools and why we're falling so far behind academically in the world. We're letting in kids who don't belong in these schools, who aren't smart enough, who aren't mature enough. We're letting them in solely due to their politics and their skin color. Guess what? You can graduate with a Stanford law degree and still be an intellectual moron these days because of affirmative action and woke admission policies. Why do you think, talk to kids, young kids now in college right now, why do you think they all got A's in every class? It's because there's so many dumb kids in their class that don't belong there that the curve keeps pushing up all the smart kids. Everybody's getting A's. So everybody's getting A's. That means no one's getting A's because everybody's the same. That's bad. That's bad for America. Not surprisingly, swastikas and an image of Hitler uh, were left on a Jewish student's door at Stanford the same time all this craziness at its law school was going on. Liberalism and Jew hatred go hand in hand. And Stanford has always hated Jews. They finally apologized last year for intentionally excluding Jewish students for years. A 1953 memo was uncovered and said that the Stanford didn't want so many Jews. So they started ignoring applications from Jewish schools. They wouldn't let these kids in. Why? Because they don't like Jews. Liberals don't like Jews. Not exactly sure why, but they don't. Let's move on. How about San Francisco? San Francisco's Board of Supervisors voted unanimously to adopt a plan 
of more than 100 reparations for the city's eligible black residents. These proposals include a one-time payment of $5 million to each adult and a complete clearing of personal debt, including credit cards, taxes, and student loans. On top of that, black residents will be able to collect an annual income of at least $97,000 for the next 250 years and buy homes within the city limits for $1. Yes, this is not parody. This is liberalism in 2023. Do I even have to say anything about this? Or can we just assume that these people are mentally ill liberals in San Francisco? Was San Francisco even a hotbed of slavery? During the Civil War era? I don't think so. I don't think people in San Francisco had slaves. This is the problem with Democrats. They're mentally ill. You can't live side by side with these people. This is what Democrats believe. And also in California, Governor Newsom plans to transform San Quentin State Prison to San Quentin Rehabilitation Center. No more prison. Because California is so safe, they don't need the prison. Just put these violent criminals in a rehab center, not prison. Listen to me. I'm a criminal defense lawyer. Criminals sometimes need jails. There's a reason why every liberal state and city has seen violent crime go through the roof under Biden. Abolishing the police and punishing serious crimes lightly is a recipe for disaster. That's why all the big cities, all the liberal cities, have high crime rates now. Why is this so hard for half the country to understand? And I saved the best for last. Ah, I got to get some energy for this one. I I don't think I'm going to make it. I don't think I'm going to make it through this piece. So if I die and somebody finds my carcass, I hope they get this this podcast out to you because this is my last one. I don't think I'm going to make it through this one, this piece. Democrats, for the first time ever, and I'm not talking liberals, I mean the full Democratic Party, supports the Palestinians over Israel. Let me make this clear. This is no different than supporting ISIS over Israel. The Palestinians and ISIS are the same level of human disease. This massive shift in the party really can be traced back to Obama getting into the White House. Now, I know he's a Christian. I want to make that clear. I know that that a man named Hussein, he's a Christian. But as soon as he got into power, he apologized to the Muslim world for all the horrible things we'd done to them. None of the horrible things they've done to us. That was just ignore that. But he also began demonizing Israel. And this gave not only Democrats, but liberals worldwide the cover they needed to let their Jew hate out. Now they just attack Jews as, quote, Zionists and make it appear they don't hate Jews, just Israel. So instead of using the word Jews, they use Zionists. I mean, it's clear as a bell. Trust me, Democrats hate Jews. They claim Israel is an apartheid state, even though Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. Israel is also the only country in the Middle East that is not Muslim majority. What a shock. They're the only ones that are a democracy. There is no other country than Israel that allows Jews and Muslims to have equal rights in the Middle East, just Israel. Yet all the hatred is for Israel from the liberals, from the Democrats now. Muslims serve in the government in Israel. They can be doctors and lawyers in Israel, judges, generals in the army. But Israel is the apartheid state, not Palestine, which does not have a single Jew living there. 
And if you sell your property to a Jew, it's a crime punishable by death. Does that sound like apartheid to you? If you're a Jew and you wander into the Palestinian territories, you get lynched to death. Last week, some leftist German tourists thought it would be fun to visit their Palestinian heroes. Big mistake, because they took a rideshare car from Israel. They were attacked immediately and barely escaped with their lives. Good thinking, liberals. America has traditionally and overwhelmingly supported Israel over the Palestinians since Israel was founded. The obvious and clear answer is that there are plenty of Americans who are Jewish, and also the Palestinians since their fabrication. They've been led by Muslim terrorists who kill Americans. What a shock. Americans support Israel over the Palestinians. Palestinians killed Bobby Kennedy. Palestinians celebrated a 9-11. Palestinians killed an American a couple weeks back in a, terror, in a terror attack, and they handed out candy in celebration. Just some guy minding his own business. He wasn't holding a gun. He was in a car going to a wedding. The Palestinians killed him. Democrats don't care. But leftists have poisoned the rest of the Democratic Party against Israel, really against Jews. They've also castigated Saudi Arabia, the Democrats have, because of uh, the Saudis' civil rights record. But it's okay for Iran and the Palestinians to execute gays regularly. The Saudis are the bad guys. Why do the Democrats hate the Saudis? Why does Biden hate them so much? Because the Saudis and Israel are at peace with each other and are allies, even if it's not overt, they're allies. The Democrats hate Jews so much they can't allow it. They can't allow the Saudis to have any peace. So they vilified them. They trashed the Saudis, Biden did in the administration, for two years, criticizing them and threatening them. That's what Biden ran on, threatening Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is America's ally. Why are we threatening them? I mean, I mean that's insane. They trashed the Saudis for two years. What did that force the Saudis to do? Well, they made peace with Iran, their mortal enemy, and our mortal enemy. They felt they had no choice. And who brokered that peace deal? China, of all countries. America was caught, America, Biden was caught flat-footed. He had no idea this was happening. China, when they're not threatening us with military force as they did a couple weeks back, when not, they're not sending surveillance balloons across our country, they're supplanting us in the Middle East. Anyone think that's a good idea? It's not. Do we want Iran getting stronger as they did with this peace deal with the Saudis? Of course not. But Joe Biden and the Democrats did this disaster. They own it. Another foreign policy disaster since they came into power and on day one abandoned our allies in Afghanistan. Biden has no clue about any of this because he's practically brain dead if you look at him. He, he, you, you listen to him and he's speaking in tongues at this point. And the Democrats hate Israel. They hate the Saudis because, you know, the Democrats are all about human rights. Don't you know? Israel, according to them, is bad on human rights. The Saudis are bad on human rights. Therefore, they love the Palestinians over Israel by an 11% margin now, according to a Gallup poll from last week. Now, I understand that there are massive protests and upheaval in Israel right now due to an attempt to overhaul the judiciary by the government. 
That's what occurs in a democracy. There's protests. Now, somehow Israel has had protests for 11 weeks now, and no one's getting killed, unlike Palestinian protests, which their days of rage end up with days of, of them killing people or terrorists getting killed. Now, I don't consider myself enough of an expert on Israeli law to give an opinion on whether this judicial reform is the right thing to do. I've seen polls that indicate that the majority of Israelis are against it. And for that reason, I would hope that a compromise is reached. You can't force people to do what they don't want to do if it's the majority of the country. It's not a great idea if you want to stay in power for very long. But back to the poll that shows Democrats virtue signaling. We love human rights, Democrats supporting the Palestinians over Israel, despite the fact that the Palestinians have got to be the worst people on earth when it comes to human rights, or really they're the worst people on earth, no matter how you measure them. They invented the name Palestinians for them in the 60s. Before that, they were just Arabs. But as soon as Israel somehow beat back multiple Arab armies, which tried to destroy it, suddenly the Arabs decided to steal Jewish history by naming themselves Palestinians, an area which was originally filled with Jews before they were kicked out by the Romans. The name Palestine for the region was made by the Romans solely to erase the Jewish presence there. It was Judea beforehand. Get it? Judea? Judea? Just doing that slowly for the the liberals that are listening. The modern Palestinians stole the name and now claim their history in the land goes back to those Roman times. I mean, this is madness. It doesn't. Their history goes back to when they renamed themselves Palestinians in the 60s. They have no Palestinian coin before when they invented themselves. No Palestinian king. There's never been a Palestinian government before then. Forget that the word Jerusalem is not in the Quran, nor is the word Palestine. Yet they still want Jerusalem. They still want all of Israel. And the Democrats want them to have it. But again, Democrats are all about human rights. That's why they made this decision. So let's look at the Palestinian human rights record, which surely mirrors the politics of the Democrats who champion them over the democracy that is Israel. Let's start. Now, as I said, they killed Bobby Kennedy in Los Angeles in 1968. Yep, Palestinian did that. They also killed the King of Jordan. They kidnapped and executed the entire Israeli Olympic team in Munich in 1972. Some of the men were castrated. Because it's not enough to kill a Jew, you got to castrate him as well when you're a Palestinian. This remains the greatest Olympic moment in Palestinian history. And they even commemorated the 50-year anniversary of it a couple years ago. To Palestinians, these killer terrorists were heroes. Number two, they execute gays. They cut off their heads. Did it last year. They have laws against homosexuality. Sounds very liberal, doesn't it? Next, they have a problem with child molestation. Why? Well, because they marry their daughters off at a very young age. 21% of all women married in Palestine are under the age of 18. Next, they honor kill their daughters and their wives. At least 18 Palestinian women were killed in 2019 by family members who were angered at perceived damage to their honor, which may involve uh, talking to men or violating their Islamist values regarding women. Next, they don't have elections. They haven't had one in decades. They don't have real criminal trials either. Just, you know, bring you up in front of some judge and two seconds later, they're lopping your head off. More liberal positions. Next, they brainwash their children to hate and to kill Jews. 
Their books and their schools describe Jews as descendants of apes and pigs. Is that liberal enough for you? They have children TV programming, which makes heroes out of children who kill Jews. They had a large Mickey Mouse looking character on one of their popular kids TV programs. His name was Far For the Mouse. He taught little kids to kill Jews with guns. Then they had him killed on television by Israelis. I'm sure that will really help the next generation of Palestinians who want peace with Israel. Next, they use children as shields and encourage their kids to become terrorists. When the kids are inevitably killed because they've either just committed a terror act or get shot trying to commit one, the child's parents celebrate as if their kid graduated college. When their children or any Palestinian terrorist kills Jews, the Palestinian government gives the family a salary higher than what they pay a teacher in their society because a killer of Jews is more valued. It's sarcastically named pay for slay by the civilized world. American aid, of course, is used to pay this blood money. That's nice, right? That's liberal. Next. They don't have bomb shelters in their territories. Why? Because dead Palestinians serve as good propaganda against Israel. They also hide their rockets, which they shoot at Israeli civilians. They hide them in schools. They hide them in hospitals. They also shoot their rockets from schools. Why? Because they want dead kids. They want Israel to fight back and kill the children. Dead kids are good propaganda for this morally bankrupt people. Next, number nine. I'm up to number nine now. Speaking of propaganda, every terrorist under the age of 25 who is killed trying to kill an Israeli or killed after killing an Israeli is described in the Palestinian press as a child. They never mention that the terrorist was killed trying to kill someone, just that Israel assassinated a defenseless, unarmed child. This is all designed to incite more violence against Israel. Look at Twitter if you think I'm making this up. Look at the Palestinian media sites on Twitter, all right? Every armed terrorist who engaged in a firefight with Israel and is killed, he was assassinated, according to the Palestinian media. They then show pictures of him without their guns. Every innocent civilian killed by Palestinians inside Israel, it's armed resistance to be celebrated. They purposely put up pictures of the killed terrorists, as I said, without their guns, without their Hamas or Islamic Jihad terror outfits. They claim instead that they were unarmed civilians. The lies are so obvious and easily debunked, and they know it, but they don't care because they know that the world just needs the thinnest of evidence, no matter how flimsy it is, to demonize Jews. I mean Israel, excuse me. When a Palestinian terrorist killed an entire Israeli family, including three children, ages 11, four, and a three-month-old baby whose throat was slit, Palestinians celebrated and handed out candy in the street. They shot off fireworks in celebration. They named schools after terrorists who kill Israelis. Next, Palestinians support Iran, which is presently killing their citizens, all because they insist that women cover their heads. That's a good reason to kill hundreds, if not thousands, of your citizens? Palestinians support Assad of Syria, who killed or gassed 500,000 Syrians, including thousands of Palestinians. They don't care, because Jews didn't do it. Palestinians also support Hezbollah. It's the Iranian-backed terror group in Lebanon. They destroyed Lebanon. 
and also assassinated their prime minister. Palestinians also support North Korea. They support China, which presently has 2 million Muslims in concentration camps. Not a problem. Not a problem. Jews didn't do it. Not a problem. Palestinians also support ISIS. They also support Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Palestinians openly hate America. And despite Palestine hating America and all of America's enemies, the Democratic Party supports them. Why don't the Democrats support Russia and Al-Qaeda and ISIS like the Palestinians do? Because Russia, Al-Qaeda, and ISIS aren't trying to exterminate Jews like the Palestinians are. That's all the Democrats care about. When Assad in Syria was slaughtering 500,000 of his own people, American liberals were silent. Silent. When Israel kills an armed Palestinian terrorist, American liberals lose their fucking minds. The same lunacy taught the kids in American colleges, which causes Stanford law students to refuse to let a federal judge speak who refuse to let any political position be heard but their own, that's the lunacy which teaches kids today in schools, in colleges, to hate Israel and support a vicious Muslim terror enclave that is Palestine. And before you tell me that the Palestinians are good people and that their terrorist leaders are the bad ones, well, listen to these polls. Of all the Muslim countries or territories, Palestinians support the use of suicide bombings the most. 68% of the people, double the next highest country in the Middle East on this issue. In a poll which asked their opinions of Jews, 97% of Palestinians have unfavorable views of Jews. Not Israelis, of Jews. They routinely display the Nazi swastika, and they have stores named after Hitler. This sounds like a people you can have a peace with, right? Speaking of peace, Palestine itself has been in a civil war for 16 years. They have two terrorist governments, and as I said earlier, they don't have elections. One of the terrorist governments, Hamas, is an internationally recognized terror group like ISIS, the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram. And in their charter, they call for the extermination of Jews worldwide. This is who the Democrats support. The two Palestinian terror groups that rule Gaza and the West Bank try to kill each other every day. The leader of one of them, the leader of Hamas, spoke to Palestinians last week in a speech. Last week, he said that they don't want a two-state solution. They want all of Israel, and they'll take it by force, killing every last Israeli. There was not a word of condemnation about this speech by a single, Demo by a single Democratic politician in D.C., not one. Instead, a Democratic senator from Connecticut, Chris Murphy, wants any aid to Israel to be conditioned upon Israel's support for a two-state solution. Tell me, the Palestinians are split into two parts, one in Gaza, one in the West, Bank, the West Bank. They are led by terrorists in each part and are in the midst of a bloody civil war. How can Israel make peace with them when they can't make peace with each other? Regardless, Israel's routinely offered Palestinians peace offers, including 97% of what they asked for, only to be turned down because they want all of Israel. And yet Democrats now support the Palestinians over Israel. When you've got leftists, open terror supporters like Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar in office, <clears throat> openly criticizing Israel 
for defending itself against terrorists, ignoring the terrorism of the Palestinians, it's not a surprise that Democrats as a whole have turned against Israel. Tlaib and Omar never utter a peep when Palestinians commit terror attacks, even when they kill Americans. But that's not the biggest disgrace. That 75% of American Jews could vote Democrat and turn their back on Israel is a bigger disgrace than the fact that Israel allows the diseased people of Palestinians of Palestine to get away with the terrorism that they do. And make no mistake, both the American Jews who support the Democratic Party against Israel and the people of Palestine are mentally diseased. The Palestinians are the lowest form of humanity on earth. There is not a more hateful, violent, more repulsive society. Even animals in the jungle don't celebrate when their children are killed. And before you criticize me for calling the Palestinians a disease, the way the Nazi described Jews as they exterminated six million of them, remember, the Jews killed by Nazis were innocent and unarmed. The Palestinians have launched tens of thousands of rockets at Israeli civilians, have murdered thousands with car rammings, stabbings, rocks thrown at them, and suicide bombs. There's a difference. And if America continues on this path, you'll lose Israel to China, much the way we lost Saudi Arabia. You can hate Jews all you want. But America will pay for turning its back on Israel. Okay, I survived that. I'm going to take a quick break and be back with a legal segment. Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. I'm back. I survived that last segment. I wasn't so sure that I was going to. Now, I'm going to talk. I'm going to completely change gears now. So if you've been listening to what you heard before, um, well, you're going to have to change your perspective a bit. I had been following a federal trial in New York, which ended recently with the conviction of the lead defendant. This was a case which I didn't think was a slam dunk for the government. It was a financial crime case, not a narcotics case, not a case of violence. And as I looked at the pictures of the defendants walking out of court, I noticed that the lead defense lawyer was wearing a sweater vest under his suit. Not exactly something most regular people can relate to. He looked like a professor. And he has that kind of professorial detachment about him. He had everything but like the pipe in his hand. A very smart lawyer, a lawyer that I know, very, very, very smart. But he's got an arrogant way about him. And I was shocked that he even tries cases because to me, he can't possibly connect with regular people. And I don't suspect he can, which I suspect will be the reason that he's going to lose all of his trials, no matter how smart he is. Just because you're smart doesn't mean you're a good defense lawyer. There's more to being smart than being book smart. And being able to connect to juries isn't something you can really fake or even learn. You're either a down-to-earth person who can relate to anyone, or you're just someone who gives the appearance of looking down at a jury. So not only do you have to be someone a jury can trust— someone they can see themselves in, you want them to think that when they're watching you, watching you cross-examine a witness, that you're acting on their behalf, that they can imagine they'd be you when you're examining the witness. You want to be their warrior, the jury's warrior. Being an arrogant prick with a, a, a sweater vest under your suit and looking like a professor down at the jury, well, that's not going to get things done. And then I started thinking about 
some cross-examinations I've done in cases with other defense lawyers who were also doing crosses, and I try to see the differences in what I do. You always want to see what other people are doing. You might learn something. The differences in lawyers on trials are not just how they appear or how they act. It's the manner of their crosses. When I was a kid, I loved to read and I and loved to write. I always wanted to write a book, and I, I still do, I suppose. I loved reading stories as I got older, and I love telling stories now. And somehow, yes, being a trial lawyer has allowed me to satisfy some of that itch. True. Because when I draw up a cross-examination, I'm not just hitting topic after topic that can impeach the witness. I'm telling a story. From the beginning to the end, I have to capture my audience during these crosses and explain to them what I'm trying to go after, what I'm exposing to them, not, not only about the witness that I'm crossing, but the defense theory as well. It's not so easy because I can't just say the words to the jury, this is what I'm trying to tell you, this is what I'm trying to explain to you. I have to question the witnesses and make their answers tell the story. It's, sometimes it's a little subtle. And then I pulled a piece of cross from the Chapo case to explain a little bit about this concept. This bit of cross was written up in a book about the trial, which I never read. I don't read books about cases that I do because inevitably the books are filled with mistakes. And in my head, I, I know what I meant to do and what I accomplished. So I don't need to read somebody who doesn't really understand everything that I do you know, when they're writing about it. So there's really no need. I don't read, I don't bother with the books. But I thought it was interesting that the writer in this case understood what I was doing at the very beginning of the cross of Alex Sifuentes. He was a Colombian drug kingpin who lived with Chapo and was a right hand to him, according to the government. And the government had pictures of Sifuentes with Chapo. They had wiretapped recordings of Sifuentes talking about Chapo during the time of their conspiracy. So this was not going to be an easy task to render him incredible. But every house is built from the bottom, from a single brick. And that's how you have to build a cross-examination, from the bottom, brick by brick. And I've told the story before about how during the trial, Chapo wanted to fire one of the lawyers on the case. He just hated him. He thought he was an idiot. And this isn't a secret as he fired him as soon as the trial ended. But once he saw him cross-examine at the beginning of the trial, he wanted to fire him right then and there and have me do all the crosses. We each had done some, some work on our feet, and Chapel was like, whoops, there's no way I'm using this guy, no chance, no how, and he wanted me to take over all of his work. I'm like, there's no way I'm doing that uh, because you can't do the work in the middle of the trial. Nevertheless, I did agree to take on some of his witnesses, which was, as I said, going to be hard to do as I had to prepare for these crosses during the day, at least some of the time, except during the day I'm on trial with Chapel on my feet all day. So how am I going to prepare for a witness that's coming up? Well, very late at night and on the weekends. It was not an easy task. Anyway, as I watched the lawyer cross-examine, I tried to understand why Chapo thought he was so bumbling and ineffective. And then it hit me that he wasn't telling a story. He wasn't reaching the jury or shaping a narrative. He was just running through obvious impeachment materials of the witnesses, and he's pounding his chest like a gorilla, and the jury was turned off. And I could tell... Because not only from my own eyes or from watching the jury's reaction, but from the prosecutors who rarely ever objected to his questions, even though some of them were so clearly improper. And I asked one of the prosecutors during the trial, why don't you ever object 
to this one lawyer's questioning. And they said, why stop him? He's helping us convict Chapo. And they were right. So I'm going to read a, a bit from the book about the case. We're going to introduce the piece of cross of Alex Fuentes. Then I'm going to read the cross. It's short. I'm going to read it right from the book. And the author's conclusions were exactly what I was thinking when I drew up this piece of cross. I'm actually shocked that this reporter got it right, because I don't know that he got anything else right. <clears throat> but this is what he wrote. In one memorable exchange, defense attorney Jeffrey Lickman highlighted examples, count, excuse me, highlighted countless examples in which Alex Fuentes had admitted to lying to friends, family, colleagues, police, and prosecutors, pretty much everyone he had ever come into contact with. Question, and part of being a good drug dealer, as we've seen today, is being a good liar, correct? Answer, yes, sir. You lied all the time, didn't you? Answer, yes, sir. You lied to other drug dealers. Answer, yes, sir. You lied to your co-conspirators, correct? Answer, yes, sir. You lied to your friends. Answer, yes, sir. You lied to law enforcement. Yes, sir. You lied to immigration officials. Answer, yes, sir. You lied to prosecutors. Answer, yes, sir. You lied to lawyers. Answer, yes, sir. You lied to your family. Answer, yes, sir. You lied to your siblings. Answer, yes, sir. You lied to your wife. Answer, yes, sir. You lied to your girlfriends. Answer, yes, sir. And you didn't just lie about your drug dealing business. You lied about personal affairs. Isn't that true? Answer, yes, sir. Then in the book, it says the following. Why, then Lickman was implying, should jurors believe him now? At times, the repetition became almost hypnotic, ping-ponging back and forth until Lickman finally drew, drove home his point and the jurors and members of the public snapped out of it to see what he'd been aiming for all along. Lickman, you lied about Mr. Guzman, didn't you? Answer, no, sir. He's the only person you didn't lie about. Answer, that's right, sir. Now, the cross was a big success, but that was the very beginning. And what it was, it was really just me leading the witness around by the nose, making him the main character in my short play for the jury. And that's what separates a pedestrian lazy cross to me, you know, from a piece of art, as, as arrogant as that sounds. But that's what you want to create as a defense lawyer, something memorable for the jury that they're going to bring back into the jury room perhaps weeks later when they're deciding on your client's fate. You want it to impact not only their thoughts about that witness, but every bit of the government's proof down the line. And that's what I wanted to do. I knew that I could get him to answer that he had lied to everybody in his life, every possible person, every day of his life. And then all of a sudden, the jury is hypnotized. Because it's the same question over and over and over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden, wham, I hit him with, but you're telling the truth about Mr. Guzman, right? Yes, sir. It's just impossible to believe. And it was a compelling point. There was like a gasp, I remember, when I was doing it from some of the jurors. Because it was very dramatic and it was very powerful. And you're thinking, listen to this arrogant jerk. He's talking like, like he's Rembrandt about crossing a drug dealer. Well, you know, that's fair. You're not doing this kind of work, this really impossible work, unless you're delusional enough to believe you can win every case despite insurmountable odds. You want someone as your lawyer who wants to make every word count, who wants to create something special. You don't want some ape pounding his chest. 
that usually ends with an L. Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, beyondthelegallimit.com. You should write to me with any thoughts, any feedback. And I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.